Hello everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Changing the Climate, a show where we talk about the changing world around us and how we can make it better. Brought to you by Climate Change Realty. The only real estate brokerage that donates 50% of its net commissions to 501c3 nonprofit organizations dedicated to fighting climate change. James, nice to meet you, man. Thanks so much for coming on the show. I, I really appreciate it. Well, I appreciate the invitation. Yeah, my pleasure, man. And we always love to get the podcast started with just a little bit of background on who you are and how you got to be doing what you're doing right now at the moment. Uh, long story short, grew up working class, worked for the railroad for about 10 years, got busted up in a train wreck, had to go back to school, ended up with a law degree and a joint JD MBA out of the University of Texas. Uh, worked at the Supreme Court there for a year for the Chief Justice. Uh, decided decided I loved law, hated lawyers, so I used the MBA, and uh, just been through a lot of different uh, positions. Uh, ended up an entrepreneur in clean tech. Uh, so you know, always been clean tech. The last company was hybrid and electric buses, and then this company is uh, biochar. So that's basically it in a nutshell. Just uh, I love creating new markets with new products. Yeah. So you said you've always been in clean tech. Where the interest in that come from? Just like the necessity of it or, or just a personal? Yeah, interest? just uh, I've been fortunate enough <clears throat> to be able to guess right when viewing over the horizon. And so just, you know, basically found technologies. I mean, the last, the last company, our electric vehicle technology was ages beyond anybody else's and then uh this one you know our technology is way beyond anybody else's we just try to create the technology and let the market come to us yeah that's really cool man um so you but you were you were working in trans so now you're essentially creating a product so it sounds like you were you creating electric buses before you started making biochar yeah, yeah, we had a manufacturing company. Yeah, we were in 10 countries. Um, and then, uh, so that was, and then we had some of the largest accounts in the, in the world in that marketplace and then uh, sold that company and then uh, moved on, bought a bunch of property up in the mountains here in Colorado. The beetle wiped us out. So this oh. company is basically a reaction to what to do with the dead trees and create something of value from the dead trees. And it's expanded from that. Well, that kind of explains where your inspiration for the, the project came from. Cool. Yes. Yeah, so let's, yeah. let's just, let's just dive into it then. Like what, what, how did you learn about biochar? Obviously I know why you started making it. So you, you bought land and then what was that, that beetle infestation? When did that start? Oh, that was in the, uh, so I've been doing this for 12 years. So, uh, yeah, it's about 12 years ago. Uh, mm -hmm. It wiped out uh, the property we had. It killed all the trees. I mean, we had a forested piece of property, you know, beautiful piece of property, and the beetle killed everything. Wow. And uh, this was just in reaction of what to do to try to salvage the wood um, and make something worth something out of it. The uh, first time I ever heard of biochar, was actually in a meeting with uh, prof professors from University of Nevada. And uh, they were, that's the first time I heard the term. And then I started researching it, um, decided I wanted to create 
the product. It sounded at the time like people had it figured out. And after flying around the country to go look at technology that never was working when I showed up, I realized nobody had anything that worked. So we had to develop our own technology. And we've now got uh, 17 patents issued. And we've been at this now. I've been at it for 12 years. Yeah. And it's really cool. And I appreciate what you're doing. Um, Can you explain exactly what is biochar and then how do you create it? All right. Um, I will explain what our product is. Okay. Okay. Because if you Google biochar, you'll get over a million hits. One of the biggest mistakes I ever made was putting the name biochar in our company. I just didn't understand what the industry was like at that time or what it's evolved to. And which, you know, it's just growing pains. Uh, if you Google biochar, there's over a million hits. And we're actually the only company that has all the governmental approvals that we have uh, to produce the product and release it into the environment. Uh, what biochar is in general is it's a carbon that you produce from organic matter. We choose wood. Uh, and then it locks the carbon up. You put it in the ground. That's where the bio comes in is it was originally meant for agriculture and we've expanded it to a lot of different industries but that's where the term biochar comes from is char going into the ground and uh, there's a lot of benefits in that but uh, because we make of a pure carbon um, and the way we do it is we keep it at temperature for eight to ten hours in our process and come out with a real high quality carbon where our competitors keep it at temperature for you know, a minute or less or a couple of minutes, they use different technologies. So they're inside their carbon, uh, you know, there's still residues, you know, that can, you know, in certain instances be toxic. So we, we basically make a pure carbon, get all the residues out without, that's why we're approved by all the governmental agencies, and especially the EPA. None of the others are approved by the EPA. Is that still true to this day? I remember you had said that in a talk a couple of years ago. Yeah, I'm sure it's, not, an, it's an emerging not, industry. We were approved in 2015 and nobody else has been approved. Really? Yeah. So, I, I mean, it's not saying they can't, but the problem is we have this technology patented, so they're not going to be able to keep their, their carbon at temperature as long as we have. So it may just be that, you know, it may just be a situation where nobody ever else gets approved. Huh. Curious. Um, how's it different from just like burning wood and then like spreading ashes? Oh, no, you, okay. If you're burning wood, it turns into ash. You need fuel, heat, and oxygen to go to ash, right? What biochar is, is made by a process called paralysis. And in paralysis, you limit the oxygen or we actually produce in a vacuum with no oxygen. So if there's no oxygen, it starts a chemical reaction and uh, it converts it into carbon versus going to ash. So that's the easy way to explain it. It's a chemical reaction versus just a fire. So when it, when it goes to ash, that means that the carbon that you would normally be capturing is being released into the atmosphere. Exactly. Because of the oxidation, right? Exactly. And what we're doing is we're locking in about half the carbon that was originally present in the wood into a long-term stable carbon. Our carbon has been measured by government labs. Their estimate is we have a 17,000 year half-life in the soil. Wow. Even with the effects of the degradation of soil and everything going on there. So we effectively lock up the carbon from the air and put it back into the ground or into 
products, you know, concrete, plastics. There's a lot of different things we do. Yeah. So, so the benefit of that is that if someone had just, I mean, so how, how is it different from like taking the, the rotted wood and turning it into like a product? How is the environmental benefits measure up against something like that? Or is this, is this type of wood that you're using even usable for anything besides biochar? No, no that's, that's the, the thing. thing. It would have been waste. Yeah. There, we don't cut down live trees. Okay. We take dead wood, the beetle, after the beetle has left the tree, you have a very limited time to use that wood because they leave behind a fungus that makes the wood weak. So you, if you don't hurry up and make a two by four out of it or whatever, it's lost. And the only thing that happens there is either leave it in the forest for forest fuel for a forest fire or it rots and everything goes back in the air. Um, we also are approved to use railroad ties and telephone poles and treated woods and painted woods. None of those woods have a market, you know, so we're just taking woods, the construction debris, things that would have gone to the landfill in best case that it went to the landfill. Most times it's just piled up and burned. That's pretty awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Now, if you, if you take a live tree, uh, then basically that would have, you know, that was still sequestering carbon. What, what we're using is stuff that's no longer sequestering carbon. It's only going to go the other route. Either go back into the air as methane, carbon, or we, we sequestered the carbon. So it sounds like turning waste into a usable product sounds like something pretty awesome to me. Yeah, that's what we do. That's what we do. Uh, we don't want to fight the battles on people saying that we're taking uh, living matter out of the forest or whatever. Uh, so everything we take is landfill diversion or, or basically dead trees that the government has paid someone to cut down for like fire prevention are currently we're taking in a lot of charred trees. We're chasing forest fires because we can use the charred trees. Uh, they're still good on the inside for our product. Uh, so we're helping to clean up the forest and help the forest regenerate quicker by taking the charred trees out of the forest and letting the sunshine hit the, hit the forest floor and, you know, give the new forest a chance to grow faster. Do you know how much waste wood? like is created each year or for example just in colorado from the beetle a lot well then the, just from the beetle there's millions and millions of dead acres i'll give you an idea how bad the beetle was just in british columbia i think there was 20 million dead hectares which is like 40 million acres yeah I mean, it's why it's more yeah california is massive that's what the forest fires are is all the dead trees you know that just that's why they can't keep them when you see the crown fires, that's from a lot of dead trees that basically have allowed the fire to go up into the, you know, and they don't thin properly. But a lot of that's the dead wood. And it burns so hot with the dead trees that it, you know, sterilizes the soil. It's not like in the old days with well-managed forests and without a lot of dead trees, you know, it would just stay on the ground and regenerate. But uh, it actually was good for the forest fire in, in a proper way. But the, um, you know, it's just one of those things. Then a healthy tree can defend itself against the beetle. So if they would just manage the forest properly, you wouldn't have all these, you know, total wipeouts because the tree can make a pitch, you know, a sap and push the beetle out. But you got to have water. And if the forest is so, <laughs> so, 
you know, so packed, uh, all the trees are under water stress and heat stress from, you know, and, and then it just, the, it has no defense against the beetle. Right. So who's primarily uh, purchasing your product at the moment compared to like when you first started the company? Uh, we're moving into a lot of industrial uses, uh, mm -hmm. versus when we first started, when we first started, I mean, truthfully, I sold most of it to the cannabis guys and yeah. the hemp guy, yeah, for greatly increased yield, you know, cause, uh, why, why did they want it? Uh, I can double and triple the yield of their plant, uh, for pennies, you know, so basically, you know, for less than $10, they can make an extra thousand or 2000 or more in yield. What's, you know, what's going on there? How, how is that possible? Well, what we do, we have properties that bind nutrients and hold water. So the, especially in the specialty ag, the cannabis and hemp, they're always dancing on a knife's edge, you know, putting in the nutrients, trying to get the max yield without burning the plant up. Mm -hmm. Where if you put our product in the, in the soil, we're like a battery. We go in totally inert but we bind nutrients and uh, we hold the water. So when you fertilize, we bind it all up and we don't let it wash out, it, but it releases to the plant through what's something called the cation exchange property. So the plant is able to work with our product in the soil and be like a pig at a trough. It just eats and eats and eats as much as it wants without burning up. So that's why you get the increased yield because if you're, if you're trying to add the chemical fertilizers, the plant's just under a lot of stress and it's, you know, just one mistake away from burning up. So it just doesn't get the right yield or the possible yield where with our product, it just feeds as much as it wants and grows as, as much as it can. Did, did you have any kind of background in like science or biology? I read a lot, man. Yeah. You're just, a, so you're just a business minded person. You were, you had this land. And you saw all this waste being created and you found out about uh, essentially a hole in the market and you decided to fill it. And you just, you, I imagine you took the capital from your previous venture and put it into this. And now you're creating this product that essentially is taking waste and creating it, turning it into this insanely use, um, valuable product, not just for other businesses, but for the environment altogether. Yes. It's just very interesting. Yeah. And on top of that, you're creating the technology to, to make it as well. Yeah. Now that one, I didn't want to do, but that was <laughs> a necessity, but yeah, no, but we've also, um, we've got over 400 investors in our company now, friends and family type people. Cool. So, you know, we let friends and family in to begin with, and they started telling their friends and family. And right now we have, uh, I've got everything I own in this deal. Plus, you know, investment from 400 plus other people. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, because they all are like-minded, they all want to save the world, you know, or make their impact. And so yeah. we're an avenue for them, for that to happen in a real way. You know, it's not hocus pocus. It's not shit that's still in a lab. For you know, sure. It's real. You know, they come out and touch it, see it. The math adds up on carbon negativity. Uh, we're actually to hopefully today there'll be a press release come out announcing a new trading platform uh, that based on our carbon, you know, on the carbon credits. Oh, would so, you mind telling me a bit about that? Well, it's just that basically we create carbon credits and we own everything yeah. we produce. And there's um, 
let's just say there's a lot of questionable deals going down in the carbon credit trading place. Uh, As always in a new unregulated market. New one. I think Bloomberg, <laughs> Bloomberg put out an article the other uh, read a while back. I think they thought 95% of the carbon credits traded in the last period of time is, let's just say questionable. Uh, I mean, you know, Fucking you joke. can argue they're fraudulent, but I'll just say questionable. Uh-huh. Uh, so what we've done, we didn't want to be painted with that brush because we're, our credits are real. Uh, so we've gone and we've uh, created our own platform. It's based on standards that were promulgated by ISO back in 2006. I mean, we just went back to the real standards instead of all this hocus pocus stuff and uh, launch a, We're going to launch a platform based on that. And then, uh, you know, and then, you know, it's full chain of custody, blockchain, all the buzzwords, you know, totally you got to, you got to audit it from production to use and verify that it went no matter that it was not, uh, you know, did not allow the carbon back in the air. So there's a lot of things that we based on just looking at the flaws and the other models. Right. So are you going to sell these credits to raise capital in order to continue to expand your model out? Is that the idea? Well, that's one, yeah, that's one source of capital. We're also, uh, are you a private company? We're a private company. We are being audited to SEC level audits in case we decide to go public. I mean, we're looking at a couple of SPACs currently, you know, but, um, you know, but the carbon credits will be one avenue of funding. It's just uh-huh. revenue. And then, uh, we're also doing joint ventures currently, which we've announced several recently. Uh, we'll be announcing a lot more in the future, but we've announced, let's see, we've announced our joint venture with the Comanche tribe. A joint, we're putting a site in Texas, one in North Carolina, one in California that we got permitted. Those are all permitted. We just signed a deal with a foreign country uh, in Southeast Asia. We'll announce that as soon as uh, the press release is approved is with a large conglomerate. So, so we're moving around the world. There's a, issues everywhere. I mean, every, every place has got their own wood, their waste issues. We also clean up Superfund sites to do a lot of remediation. So that's what we're doing a lot with the native Americans. We're setting up facilities on the native American land because as a society, we've tended to dump most of our waste on reservations. And mm-hmm. uh, so we're working with the, with the Native Americans to clean up their, uh, the land and their reservations, as well as provide jobs. Right. What you're doing is, is pretty incredible, James. I'm just delighted to have you on the show just to chat for an hour. Um, can we talk about some of the devices that you personally invented and, and patented and why you seem to think it was a bit of a painful process? <laughs> uh, well, I mean, the on previous life, um, I actually patented vehicles. Uh-huh. You know that I think some of the current uh, electric vehicle companies may actually launch. Uh, so, I like I invented one vehicle that carried freight and passengers together in a really high yield environment. We started building those vehicles and then 9-11 happened. So I had to pivot real quick, huh. <laughs> you know, because everything for people who you know, weren't in business at that time, you had to focus back on your basic business real fast to survive. Wow. And then, um, then in biochar world, we basically have uh, invented this kiln process uh, and the kiln technology and we've computerized it and mechanized it and um, we just took a different path. Uh, what we realized was wood, all the wood is different. 
my competitors try to take a non, you know, basically all the feedstock is different. So, you know, there's different water content, different everything. And then they try to take non-uniform feedstock, run it through a uniform process, and they wonder why they get the, pro the results they have. You know, you know that, I mean, ninth grade algebra should have taught them that equation is not going to work. I can't remember my ninth grade algebra, man. <laughs> I didn't either, but I, every now and then I have <laughs> flashbacks. But the, uh, you know, what we did was we recognized that all feedstocks are different and you need a process that allows time and the conditions for if you got a wet piece of wood to convert over a dry piece of wood, if you got a large piece of wood to over a smaller piece of wood, so what we, we realized was if there's no oxygen in the, in the kiln, it's not going to go to ash. You got to have the oxygen for it to go to ash. So we, Which is what you don't want. Yeah. So we basically created a technology that where we were, we were able to run this process in a vacuum, slight vacuum. So we can leave the converted stuff in there just bathing in the heat for hours while all the other stuff converts. So our process will run it for eight to 10 hours till everything's converted to high quality. And that's what the corporations want. They need high quality, they need consistency, and um, that's what we give them. So I can, when I started a kiln, we, we, we built the kiln and then we number up. So the kiln itself is a factory. It's got the, you know, it's got that size and that's it, you know. That size happens to fit on the back of a truck for mobile units, but that's another story. And then, mm -hmm. uh, so we don't make it bigger. Everybody, why don't you make it bigger? No, we don't make it bigger. It changes the science. Um, so we just number up. So like some locations, we're allowed to have three, 400 kilns operating at, at the same time. So we're moving, we convert a lot of waste wood, uh, you know, in the system, we just number it up versus making a big, you know, multi-billion dollar plant like some of our competitors try to do. Um, so, you know, when we started Kim, I can't tell you if it's going to take eight hours, 10 hours or whatever, because it's going to go to a stun. We have an algorithm that drives everything. There's over 40,000 data points a second going into the algorithm. And that's what drives it. It just basically takes the kiln on a path with a lot of different variables and, uh, it goes wherever it wants to go. It just ends up where it needs to end up. So you had like, you had like a team of engineers working for you to create this. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, we had a team of engineers. They wouldn't quit engineering. So now we have one engineer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. But, but no, it's uh, yeah, no, there was a group of engineers. We have very, very smart people, uh, especially on the software side. Um, so, uh, how do you power these devices? The beautiful thing is the wood itself, uh, creates really, the, yeah. You know, the chemical reaction creates energy to drive the process. So you're not using like, you're not hooked into the grid to power these kilns and using like coal burning power. It's no, powered by no, the we, product. We are, we are using electricity to run the computers and the algorithms, but, but uh, the process itself, you know, the wood converting to carbon is an internal process where the energy from the wood fuels the chemical reaction. Wow. 
So it doesn't sound, I mean, I'm sure that, I mean, the computers probably use some energy, but nothing compared to like something like a no, no, that's why, that's why we, that's why we have carbon credits to sell because we uh, sequester more carbon than we use in the process. That's how you create a carbon credit. Yeah. Well, I figured like the benefit of the product, but no, 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 that, that totally makes sense. That's um, pretty spectacular, actually. Yeah, it's, yeah, basically, yeah, it's a, you know, it's a technology. I mean, I'm not going to take credit for it. I mean, the technology has been around since the Amazonian Indians. It's just, uh, you know, people forget, or in their case, they were wiped out by diseases and the knowledge was just lost. And then uh, basically it's been recreated over the last 20, 30 years. Um, so you speak a lot about your competitors. Um, what are some of your issues with the industry and kind of where do you see it going? Uh, my issue with the industry is they, I don't belong to any industry organizations. Um, mm-hmm. And the reason being they define the term biochar too broadly. They you know, and I understand their point of view. They have to pay for their organizations. They need members. They even allow 10% carbon to be called biochar. You know, well, if you're out there working with the major corporations as I do, and then they go out and they test and they, you know, they test us against other biochars and they get garbage. They literally get toxic materials in to test. So I always win, but <laughs> that, you know, it's just, giving a black eye to the industry now, but they think it's fair. Everybody, anything with more than 10% carbon should be be allowed to be called biochar according to these industry groups. Well, you could burn, you could burn in your fireplace and pull your ash out and call it biochar under their definitions, you know? And, uh, you know, it's fine. There's a place for that stuff in theory. Um, But that's what I, the issue I have because I chose to chase a high quality carbon market. And, uh, you know, that's just what I have to do. My mistake, once again, was calling my company Biochar Now. Yeah. Because, you know. Never too late to rebrand, man. Well, I've been thinking about it, man. You think about it, but all the good names are taken. I guess it's one of those <laughs> things you got to end up getting a case of beer or whatever. And uh, yeah. come up with a name with a bunch of consonants in it and then try to. Because <laughs> all the good names, biocarbon and everything else that would be good, it's already been taken by other people in the industry. Yeah. Well, yeah. your product is more than 90% carbon, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we're, we're high quality. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, and then, you know, one of the universities just developed a process that can take our carbon into pure graphene for just a couple of hundred dollars a ton. So that's what is, what is graphene? Pressure. Graphene is pure, pure carbon, uh, basically the strongest material on earth. So it's going to be used in construction. It's going to be uh, construction materials will be used in batteries. And there, that processing line is being built as we speak. And that'll change the world when that, when that uh, comes online, because their process is like it's a fraction, a small, small, small fraction of the cost of the current product production of that type of product yeah well james you've certainly got an eye for the future man i can, I can see it already seems like it's not the first time you've come up with something that, that the market needs um no 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 last time it was electric vehicles before the battery technologies were there 
Mm-hmm. So, I mean, you know, like w- one of our electric buses had enough power, 250 kilowatts on a bus. You could power a small city with it, but that's what it took to get through a shift, you know, in a city travel. But, you know, but in those days, you know, the issue was finding enough batteries or, you know, you got so many batteries on the bus, do you let any people on it? You know, nowadays, the tech battery technology is going great and it's really you know, coming around. So the neat vehicles nowadays, you know, weren't possible when we started on that company. Same thing with biochar or this carbon, converting wood to carbon. Uh, in 10 years from now, it'll just be, I think it's safe to say we're a proven technology. We got to get the carbon out of the air. We're doing it now. It's going to be scaled up. Uh, there will be fraud along the way, you know, as in any new industry, but we're not some carbon capture technology that's still in some lab that needs government grants. We've got, I've got 70% margins on my product. You know, I just need the government to stay out of the way. You know, I, I hear that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so that's, uh, you know, so I think that's why we're being looked at by the world and uh, a lot of things like that. Uh, our company is all has been looked upon in certain circles as the leader. Uh, I gave a presentation on Earth Day, on the Earth Day network worldwide. Uh, I think if you look at the speaker lineup, I was the only company, for-profit company that was allowed to speak. You know, we, you know, you had people like Pope Francis and stuff speaking, and I spoke after, you know, they broadcast my deal after him, but, uh, but because the people in certain areas realize we are a solution. The theme this year was regenerative agriculture and we're yep. a leader in that. But, so we're being recognized in certain areas, but we don't seek it out. It's just people find us and they, they know we're real. So. Well, yeah. What do you think about the role of for-profit companies when it comes to uh, environmental action and, you know, reducing climate impacts? I think your company is one of the, best examples I could possibly think of, of a for-profit business that's going to create substantial climate action. Is there any others that come to mind? And then, so I'm very deeply involved in in the nonprofit space. I don't know if you know, I sell real estate and I donate mm-hmm. half of my money yeah. to nonprofits, but I really want to support businesses like yours that have a viable model that could sell a very useful product to people. But like you just mentioned, you guys are actually carbon negative. So you're able to sell credit. Seems like that would be a great industry to invest in. And we could get a lot of work going because the market forces are there. I just wanted to ask you your thoughts on that. Yeah, no, I'm a, the problem and why we'd never search for grant. I mean, my last company was dependent on federal funds, the buses. We sold to transit agencies, right? Brutal. So yeah, it was feast or famine. It depends what administration was in there. You either had to ramp up and you had the problems of ramping up or if another administration went in you had to lay people off because the you were dependent on government funds and i just you just can't build a business that way so that's why we uh i avoid grants i say that but actually i've been offered grants to move to a certain state some sites but as a general rule we we avoid grants because the profits can drive the business now i'm not opposed to people giving me grants but i just don't have like somebody on staff applying for grants all day long um so that's it you've got to make a profit and if you do good that's an added benefit you know if you take carbon out of the air that's an added benefit but if you're not making a profit 
It's not sustainable. That's it's just that simple. And in the markets we're in, we're the low cost provider. I mean, it's, and we're the low cost solution. So, and we have patents on certain markets. So, you know, we're able to do, it's just a good solid business model that happens to do what good for the planet. Yeah. Um, tell me about your, your, your vision, your plans for expansion. Where do you see the company in 10 years? Uh, we've already got a path um, to be a multi-billion dollar company very quickly. I could see it. Yeah, well, we, I mean, I'll just give you one quick, like I've been raising funds and of course they're whining, ah, you, where's your orders? Where are your, where's your orders? So just in the they last being week, the investors are one yeah, investors, you know, how Wall Street is. They go, yeah. yeah. So just in the last <laughs> week, I went out and got contracts for over $600 million of Analyte annualized sales just in a week. So it's just like, okay, there's the orders. Now the, the market's there because, you know, it's a chicken and egg problem. You got to expand to meet the market. And then they go, well, if you need the money to expand, you got to show you have the contracts. It's just always the same vicious circle, but it's good. That's what we're going to expand. Uh, we've got about 30 deals uh, in negotiation to put sites around the U.S. We've got deals. We've now finalized a deal in Southeast Asia. We'll start going there. I've got opportunities in Europe and Africa and Middle East. So we're going to expand around the world. And just, you know, wherever there's uh, issues, either cleanup issues or agricultural issues, and there's uh, raw material to be able to be converted. That's where we'll go. James, thanks. Thanks for answering, man. It's been, it's really, it's really cool talking to you. It's your, your, your unique type. Uh, I love how you like, you, there was the, the, uh, the, the, the systems that you needed weren't there. And you're like, oh man, I just got to create them. It's like, you're not like an engineer, but you just did it. That's really cool. Can you tell me a little bit about how the oil and gas industry in particular uses your product to reduce their impacts beyond just the carbon credits that you would sell? Yeah, we uh, clean up their mess. It's a simple way to say it. We bind hydrocarbons. We, uh, we can, like on the frack water spills, we can bind the salts. Like, um, so if you have a spill, we can clean it up. If, and now oil and gas commissions in various states are starting to pass rules to allow our biochar to go down a well in abandoned wells. So they fill the well with our biochar before they cap it because we can bind the toxins and we're also a carbon sink. But, uh, but historically we've been used just to clean up their messes. So like when they pull a well uh, pad site out, they put our carbon on the ground to bind up anything that was spilt. We've been approved by the Texas Railroad Commission to clean frack water spills because we can bind both salts and chemicals. Um, so, and then we're working with pipeline companies to clean up underground messes. So, um, that's basically, I mean, I, you know, there's a lot of different specific things. We can also bind up, uh, the chemicals out of the air. So like if they need to filter benzene or whatever, you know, out, like in refineries where they've got issues and they got odor and they've got chemicals they need to pull out of the air. We've uh, been used to vent iso-octane or some kind of weird octane molecule out of railroad tank cars. You know, when they ship a train load of oil from North Dakota down to Houston, they have to vent the tank cars before they can open them up. So we bind up all those uh, octane molecules out of the air. So the, it's just, you know, 
anything with an E and E and E at the back end, we can bind up. Cool. Yeah. Just curious. Are you aware of any other companies that have similar benefits to yours? I mean, the triple I'm aware of a lot of companies that make the claim. Yeah. Not, not specifically just biochar, but the same, like you guys are really strong on the triple bottom line. It's like profitable, scalable, huge environmental positive impacts. Are you aware of anything else that's similar to what you're doing? That just, just for my, my own benefit. Um, I mean, I'm biased. I don't spend much time looking up for competitors because I'm working, but I don't any, a lot of competitors are raising a lot of money and then they disappear. You know, they raise the money on the promise, but they don't seem to deliver. Um, so right now I know of people that are making claims, but when I'm tested against them by certain customers, I just know I get the business. But why does it, why does it have to be competitors? I don't know if you understood my question. I'm thinking more broadly of a model that works similarly. So just because your product might sequester carbon um, through different things doesn't mean that like another company, okay. like a, like a DAC plant or something, which has a, a viable model where they suck uh, carbon out of well, the I mean, air and they, they sell they jet fuel. Do, if they can do it cost effectively without grants, that's a great deal. Especially the guys who are using it to create like new forms of concrete and stuff, weathered. Yeah. Pumping it in the ground. That's, you know, shit. I mean, whatever, teach their own. <laughs> but, uh, but like the guys who are literally creating a product out of it, those companies. Like jet fuel. Yeah. Jet fuel or uh, the concrete. This See, new, like that's uh, not a competitor of yours. That's just someone no. that has like a similar triple bottom line benefit. Yeah. That's what I was asking. Yeah, for. No, that, that I, I do know CEOs of several of those companies and, uh, you know, they're doing really well. I mean, really, really well, you know, but uh, yeah, no. So there are companies out there. It's just one of those things. And there's plenty of capital right now. I mean, you know, nothing, this world is flooded with money right now. That's the problem because so many fraudulent people get funded. <laughs> you know, they, yeah. they, they got so much money. They're pushing it out without a lot of due diligence. Uh, but, you know, but yeah, no, there's a lot of other things out there. Put it this way, I'm not worried about climate change because I know the, I mean, everybody bad mouse capitalism, but trust me, man, there's enough deals out there and enough technologies and the force of capitalism behind it that we can take the carbon out of the air. Then when we create a ice age, we'll see what everybody has to say there. You know, but that's <laughs> another issue. That is something I could serve myself with that most people aren't thinking of the idea that if we, you know, terraform the planet or whatever the opposite of that is by putting, making it really warm, what will happen when we get to the point where we pull so much out, but I, hopefully we can find like a nice equilibrium like we've had in the Holocene. But yeah. um, I'm here we are, we're, we're the stewards of the planet. We're, 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 we have so much power. We're in control. James, it's, it's been great talking to you, man. Last, uh, last question I have is just what advice do you have for young folks who are working in the corporate world, but are passionate about the impact that their, their businesses are having on the planet? Well, it depends their risk profile. I will tell you there's more opportunity in this world right now than I've ever seen in my lifetime. But you have you can't be risk averse. So, I mean, if you really want to participate in these new industries, you got to jump in with both feet. Uh, and you know, it really it really is out there. Um, learn from the mistakes other people have made. 
I, it's amazing to me how many people are recreating the same mistakes that have been made and have been documented. They just don't do their research. So there's a, this in all these industries we're talking about are at the launch stage. The technologies are there. You just, now's the time. It's just like the cannabis industry was about five, six years ago. You know, that's where these technologies are now. There's a lot of money to be made. There's a lot of people that are going to be left on the side of the road. Uh, just do your own due diligence and jump in with both feet. I mean, because look, you don't want to sit on the porch when you're retired wondering what if, right? Mm-hmm. At least that's my viewpoint. That's why I do what I do. Well, I appreciate you, James. And uh, yeah, man, I mean, this is kind of just seems to be the story of humanity repeating the same mistakes over and over again. It's the people who learn from their evolution that kind of eventually push the dial. But we just we just keep eating the fruit, man. I don't know if you, if you know what I mean, but uh, oh, no, yeah. I know exactly what you mean. Trust me. <laughs> yeah. I mean and, and they and they they aren't teaching squat in schools nowadays. They're just basically, you know, it's amazing. It's like you can't tell them the math's wrong because it hurts their feeling. But, you know, the math physics and science are real. It's not like it's how you feel. <laughs> you know, yeah, what I, mean? I hear you. But anyway, but uh, no, I appreciate the time. And, uh, you know, we'll just keep pushing. And we'll do our part. And, you know, if anybody's interested in what we're doing, feel free to, you can reach me through the web, our website, uh, the info that I get copied on. If you leave a message on our website, I get copied. Cool. All right. Thanks for coming on, James. I really appreciate it. It's been a real pleasure. All right, you take care, Ethan. You keep doing what you're doing, man. You got it, man. All right, All everybody. Right. See you next week. Bye. Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of Changing the Climate. Here at Climate Change Realty, we don't just donate 50% of our net commissions to fight climate change. We also donate a full 50% of our real estate referrals. So if you or anyone else you know is looking to buy or sell a home anywhere in the USA and would like to create thousands of dollars in donations without any cost out of pocket, please visit ccrboulder.com today.